0: Welcome to Show Cause, the official podcast of the University of Memphis School of Law. I'm Ryan Jones, the Director of Communications at the Law School, and I'll be your host for this podcast as we attempt to examine and explain some of the legal and cultural issues at play in the world today.
1: the most powerful non-violent tool we have to create a more perfect union. Our fathers believed that if this noble view of the rights of man was to flourish, it must be rooted in democracy. The most basic right of all was the right to choose your own leaders. The history of this country in large measure is the history of expansion of that right to all of our people. But about this there can and should be no argument. Every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. Johnson said, about this there can be and should be no argument. Every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. Voting, voting is a time when we all have an equal say, black or white, rich or poor, man or woman. doesn't matter. In the eyes of the law and in the eyes of our democracy, we're all supposed to have that equal right to cast our ballot to help determine the direction of our society. The principle of one person, one vote is the single greatest tool we have to redress an unjust status quo. You would think there would not be an argument about this anymore. But the stark, simple truth is this. The right to vote is threatened today in a way that it has not been since the Voting Rights Act became law nearly five decades ago.
0: You just heard portions of three impassioned speeches from three monumental U.S. political figures from the last century, with each one imploring his listeners to understand the incredible importance of the right to vote in fair and trustworthy elections. U.S. Representative John Lewis, former President Lyndon B. Johnson, and former President Barack Obama were all in agreement on the significance of voting and fair and representative elections in our country. But this bedrock principle could be on shaky ground in the months and years ahead. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court announced that it would hear a case this fall that could radically reshape how federal elections are conducted. It could give state legislatures independent power, which would not be subject to review by state courts, to set election rules that could be in direct conflict with their own state constitutions. In short, it could give state legislatures unchecked power to determine the outcome of federal elections. The case, Moore v. Harper, originated in North Carolina and concerns a voting map drawn by the North Carolina legislature that was rejected as a partisan gerrymander by the North Carolina Supreme Court. Politicians in the North Carolina legislature are now seeking to restore that map and argue that the state court was powerless to act under the fairly new independent state legislature doctrine, which is essentially based on a reading of two similar provisions of the Constitution. The one at issue in the North Carolina case deals with the Constitution's election clause that says, The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. North Carolina politicians argue that this means that the state legislature has the sole responsibility among all state institutions for drawing federal districts and that state courts have no role to play. They are in essence saying that the legislature is not subject to any judicial review and can do whatever they want in regard to these federal elections. The case and the Supreme Court's decision could throw nearly every facet of our country's electoral process into chaos by allowing state legislatures to set new rules, regulations, and districts in federal elections with almost no checks against overreach, and could potentially create a wild system with differing rules and voting eligibility for presidential and congressional elections, as well as federal districting matters. The protections against partisan gerrymandering, long established through state courts, could vanish overnight. The ability to challenge new voting laws at the state level could be decimated, and some have suggested that it would blast open the door to state legislatures sending their own slates of electors that would run contrary to their state's popular vote results. If the case is successful, partisan gerrymandering would essentially be legal. On today's episode of Show Cause, we're joined by election law expert and author of the book, Rethinking U.S. Election Law, Unskewing the System, Professor Steve Mulroy. He's published over 25 works on constitutional law, criminal law and procedure, and election law and is the past winner of the Democracy Innovator Award from the National Fair Vote Organization for his work on voting rights and election law issues. Professor Mulroy goes into detail with us about the monumental importance of this case and the implications it could have on our entire foundation of democracy. This issue may be flying a bit under the radar at the moment, but it's something that's going to be huge in the coming months. I hope it can help educate you a bit more about the matter so that you can be more informed as things take shape. It's something I hope doesn't go unnoticed for much longer and it's not much of an exaggeration to say the future of our democracy may depend on the outcome of the case. This is Show Calls. All right, today we've got uh, election law expert Steve Mulrory with us, one of our own professors. Um, Steve, I wanted to have you come on today and kind of talk about some developments that I've seen in the news recently about uh, the Supreme Court agreeing to hear a case um, dealing with federal elections and some voting issues. Um, But thanks, first of all, for coming on, taking the time out of your schedule. I know you're busy, um, but I thought you'd be perfect to talk to about this.
2: Oh, yeah. Happy to do it. Happy to do it.
0: So, First off, let's start off for people that are listening, um, broad background. What is this case that the Supreme Court's um, agreed to hear? Uh, Where did it originate? Um, And what's the background of it? How has it traveled through the court system so far and some of the background about what it is?
2: Sure. So the North Carolina state legislature decided to do a redistricting plan for congressional elections in North Carolina this is a state that is roughly 50% Democratic and 50% Republican. But the then Republican controlled state legislature decided to draw a plan that had 10 of 14 congressional districts going for Republicans. This is way more tilted Republican than you might expect given the overall state percentage. But Democrats cried foul and called this a political gerrymander. Now, According to a US Supreme Court case from a couple of years ago, you can't challenge partisan gerrymanders in federal court. The Supreme Court has called it a non-justiciable political question. But you can challenge gerrymanders in state court under state constitutions. There are some state constitutions that have specific provisions that have been interpreted to prevent partisan gerrymanders, and North Carolina is one of them. So a group of voters and. advocacy organizations joined together and sued in state court to challenge this plan, and the state Supreme Court invalidated it under the state constitution, sending it back to the state trial courts to you know, remedy, get a new plan that wasn't quite as gerrymandered. Well, the state has now challenged this in federal court, saying, look, under the independent state legislature doctrine, which we'll talk about more in a moment, you can't deprive the state legislature of its exclusive power to determine the manner in which elections are going to be held in our state. No state court has the authority to trump what the state legislature does. And therefore, any attempt by the North Carolina State Supreme Court to invalidate this Redistricting plan violates the federal constitution, specifically the elections clause. And we'll talk about that in a moment, but that's it in a nutshell. If the state of North Carolina is correct and the independent state legislative doctrine, which is a new doctrine that's just been discussed among conservative commentators and justices in recent years, if it is in fact valid, if the court adopts it, then not only because the North Carolina State legislature, I mean, North Carolina State Supreme Court lacked the power to police gerrymanders. No state Supreme Court anywhere in the country would be able to police political gerrymanders. Does that,
0: essentially, if if North Carolina wins their case, does that mean all state legislature, no state legislature would be subject to like a judicial review process? And if that's the case, Does that lead uh, to those potential those states potentially uh, denying the right to vote to different entities, people of color, women, um, different religions, etc. Or is that only apply to, you know, your gerrymandering essentially does that leave your state legislature unchecked to do whatever they want to invalidate the results of election or draw the lines of a district.
2: There's a real, real danger that this will leave state legislatures unchecked wow. to do what is called election subversion.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Election subversion is basically where the state legislature would say, we don't like the results of that election. Right. We think it was fraud. We're going to invalidate it and we're going to, you know, do something different like they can with presidential elections
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, or, you know, theoretically, they have some ability to, you um, send a competing slate of electors for presidential electors. I don't know whether it would allow them to outright discriminate on the basis of race because that still might be challengeable under the federal constitution's equal protection clause. Mm. But aside from the most egregious racially or ethnically discriminatory uh, types of, 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 uh, of actions, if North Carolina prevails and the independent state legislative legislature doctrine is um, adopted by the U.S. Supreme Court, it basically means there will be no judicial review anywhere of partisan gerrymandering.
0: So would that basically just negate what state
2: constitutions say in favor of, of that? Yes, on this narrow question of regulating federal elections, state constitutions would basically be completely uh, bypassed. Wouldn't matter what a state constitution said about fairness and redistricting or elections or election procedures, um, there'd be no authority. The governor wouldn't have any authority. State Supreme Court wouldn't have any authority. The secretary of state, and election commission, an election coordinator, only the state legislature would have any authority when it comes to regulating Time, places, and manner of federal election. That's that is what could potentially happen if North Carolina wins this case.
0: So, well, it sounds it sounds like an incredibly slippery slope. But before we get into that, you referenced um, the uh, how this has come up recently and in, in other court in other matters. So. I think is it recently in in Arizona? This came up in a case recently. Supreme Court ruled on. Well,
2: actually, the first time it ever came up was in a concurrence in Bush v. Gore. Okay. In two thousand, remember that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court said that the state, the Florida Supreme Court, ordered ongoing statewide recount of the presidential election in two thousand between Bush and Gore. They stopped it because they said under the Equal Protections Clause of the Federal Constitution, there were too many discrepancies. Some counties were counting the hanging chads one way and some counties were counting it a different way. That was the main reason for the result in Bush v. Gore, which threw the election to Bush. But three conservative justices um, joined an opinion authored by uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist which first brought up this independent state legislative doctrine. And what they basically did was they took a look at two clauses of the constitution. One is the elections clause, which says, the times, places and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. Now, it then adds that Congress can at any time make or alter such regulations, but unless Congress steps in to preempt the idea is that the state legislature runs the regulations that um, you know govern how federal elections uh, take place. And then there's the presidential elections clause, which basically says the same thing for presidential elections. So when it comes to federal elections, Chief Justice Rehnquist wrote, the state legislature is supreme and no state Supreme Court should be interfering. Now, that didn't command a majority of the court in Bush v. Gore. Fast forward to 2014, that's the Arizona case you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Arizona has a process where, by referendum, the voters can amend the state constitution. They amended the state constitution to create an independent, nonpartisan redistricting commission that would take over redistricting away from the legislature because the legislature was too politicized. right? It was a way of avoiding gerrymandering. Well, the state of Arizona said, hey, no state constitutional provision, no referendum, no amendment to the state constitution can take any redistricting power away from us because of the elections clause. And they invoked the independent state legislator doctrine. A majority of the court rejected it. In an opinion authored by Justice uh, Ginsburg, but joined by uh, Republican appointee Justice Kennedy, they said, well, just because it says the word legislature, that doesn't mean literally it only has to be the state legislature. Because after all, <clears throat> the state legislature, <clears throat> like every other actor under a state system, is governed by the state constitution. And the state constitution trumps what the state legislature says. Um, And in fact, some state legislatures have passed laws providing for judicial review of their own actions by the state courts. So there's no reason why you can't do a referendum. And they specifically talked about the legislative history of those two clauses in the Constitution shows that what the founders were really concerned about was an out-of-control state legislature. And so the important part was the part at the end that said Congress can you know, make or alter such regulations. And they definitely wanted the people to be involved. So the idea that you couldn't do a referendum uh, seemed antithetical to the kind of small-D democracy that the founders were all about. And so this is a Supreme Court opinion that's still on the books from 2014, which says that the word legislature in those two clauses doesn't necessarily preclude, preclude other state actors having a role. So, in that case,
0: the the dissent that you mentioned and the justices that weighed in on that, they're you know the I guess it's a majority of them are off the court now, correct? Yes. Uh, So, how you know how do you see this? How do you see this proceeding since many of those that were of that opinion before um, about state legislatures and their role are now off the court? Um, What is what what does what do things look like? This same matter with this court?
2: Well, there are at least three current justices who have signed on in concurring opinions to the independent state legislature uh, doctrine. I think, um, let's see now, uh, Alito, Mm -hmm. Thomas, and Gorsuch in the North Carolina case had previously said, we should take this case at an early stage and maybe interfere with it because of the independent state legislature doctrine. And a majority said, no, let's wait to see how things shake out in the state courts, and then maybe we'll come back to it. And now they've come back to it. All right, this case is going to be heard this fall. So there's at least three votes that you think might be sympathetic to what North Carolina is arguing. Then Kavanaugh, in another concurrence, um, had indicated there's maybe some, well, actually, I think it was a concurrence in the North Carolina case. So there may be some merit to this independent state legislature doctrine But, you know, we're not going to look at it right now. Maybe we'll look at it later. So there's four votes, and you only need five, that have already written opinions pretty darn sympathetic to this argument. And um, Roberts signed on to the dissent in the Arizona case. Right. So, you know, there's a very real chance that North Carolina will prevail. We don't know what Amy Coney Barrett thinks because she's relatively new to the court and hasn't had a chance to weigh in
0: so she could be the potential swing vote on it.
2: She uh, could. Yeah. So
0: in its extreme, what what are the issues at play here? I guess it, in its extreme thing, in its extreme interpretation if North Carolina were to win this case. Um what are what are some of the the larger dangers at play? Like how could this affect the 2024 election? And what's the extreme worry for uh, the integrity of elections and, yeah. and states going
2: forward. There's a lot at stake here, uh, Ryan. At a minimum, it means there will be no judicial review at any level of gerrymanders because the federal courts can't review it because it's a non-justiciable political question. And now state courts won't be able to review it. So there will be no judicial check on gerrymandering. Uh, gerrymandering will be completely you know, free and unchecked by the court action. Independent redistricting commissions like Arizona has, and like several other states have, California, Iowa, others, which many election reformers see as a positive step to get away from gerrymandering, take it out of the political process. They may very well be on the chopping block, too. Um, election commission authority. You know, we talked about in 2020, there were some election commission or uh, election officials that stood fast. And, you know, didn't give in to the big lie and, you know, didn't throw the election to Trump away from uh, Biden. Their authority to do so might be completely undercut if the independent state legislation, legislature doctrine is uh, adopted by the U.S. Supreme Court. And then you asked about 2024 presidential right. All right. So the presidential electors clause says each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. A number of presidential electors. If, it, if you apply it to that, then any state legislature in 2024 could say, <clears throat> "Yeah, I know it looks like the election went to Biden. Let's just say Biden runs for re-election, but we don't trust it. We think there's fraud, and so we are going to appoint a slate of a rival slate of presidential electors for." whoever. Let's say it's Trump. And it may be that the courts would be powerless to do anything about that. So it just (laughs) essentially
0: neuters state Supreme Court, but as well as well as the federal level. That's right. Uh, right. I mean, in essence, it seems like states could ignore real election results based on the political whims of the legislature.
2: I hate to say it, but Yes, there is that potential.
0: Is this similar to uh, some of the arguments that we heard after um, President Biden won the election that Trump tried to use, pre- former President Trump tried to use in several of his uh, cases relating to his the big lie cases? Um,
2: it's, it's, it's very similar. I mean, um, at one point, the uh, Trump forces were trying to engineer a situation where state legislatures controlled by Republicans in four key swing states would simply purport to exercise their authority under these two constitutional clauses and just announce a new slate of presidential electors. Right. Trump. Right. So, um, yeah.
0: go ahead. Well, it just sounds what's the timeline look like? The, the, so the
2: Supreme Court is due to hear this in the fall, correct? Yes. Yes. And we'll, we'll get a decision probably by the end of the year, but certainly the beginning of uh, next year. <clears throat> and so it'll be well in advance mm-hmm. of the 2024 president, presidential election. We will know well in advance what the rule is. Can state legislatures simply do what they want without mm-hmm. any kind of judicial review check?
0: Assuming that, that, assuming that the case goes that direction, what... Um... What avenues? What what can people do? What can you know, citizenry of the of states that fall within those you know circumstances do to ensure that their, I guess their vote, their vote and their voice is heard in a fair and accurate manner? What happens?
2: Well, <clears throat> it's unclear. I mean, obviously they can use political pressure mm-hmm. on their. Uh, elected state representatives to not practice election subversion.
0: Yes, that would be ideal.
2: You could try that. Um, You know, I mean, if there was any notion that, um, if there was any notion that ordinary principles of due process were being violated by the attempted election subversion, or there was racial discrimination or ethnic discrimination going on, you know, then you could use the due process clause or the equal protection clause of the uh, federal constitution to challenge it. Right? Those, those are still in place. You know, the, even if the court were to adopt the independent state legislature doctrine, it would mean that states would be free to violate due process or equal protection. Um, but the, the range of options by using the courts really becomes very, very narrow.
0: I mean, it's scary to me. It's. I think it's. This is it really interesting, timely, but also potentially scary. Like you said, um, it seems like it. That decision has the potential to really politicize election results, and I think the ordinary citizen would have a lot less faith in the you know that their vote was going to matter or that their vote would be tallied correctly and attributed correctly.
2: Ryan, I would not only agree with that, but I would go further, and and you know I hate to. I always try to avoid apocalyptic rhetoric. You know, sometimes right. commentators right. like to say, you know, this is the end of democracy as we know it, and all of that. But you know, there is a scenario in which we look back, you know, a decade or two from now, to this decision as being the point at which it all started going south on us, mm-hmm. and you know, democratic processes were uh, were lost. I, I hope that's not the case i mean we'll still be able to elect our state representatives our state legislators and that is that is true and that that is definitely democracy but the problem is if the state legislatures are free to gerrymander at will without any check then the state legislatures may not actually represent the will of the voters in an accurate way right and then if we therefore empower them to actually change the results of uh, elections then it just seems to me like you know it's a catch twenty two situation. Right. I mean, it just
0: <clears throat> completely alters the balance of power. um
2: I think that's true. And yeah. and if I could, Ryan, one thing we haven't gotten to is I think that the listeners maybe would be served well by hearing a couple of the pro and con arguments for the independent state legislature, doctor. Just so yeah, they can. Yeah, I'm interested. Okay, okay. Thanks. So the the main argument in favor of the independent state legislature doctrine is the plain language of the two clauses, which does say the legislature. It doesn't say anything else. Um, And then further, Justice Roberts dissenting in the Arizona case pointed out, when we passed the 19th Amendment, which said that there would now be direct election of US senators, because it used to be that the state legislatures would um, choose the US senators, and only Congressman, the uh, House of Representatives would be directly elected by the people. We amended that with the 19th Amendment. Um, the 19th Amendment adoption kind of proves that there's a distinction between the word legislature and direct election by the people, right? And that was what was an issue in the Arizona case of, you know, a statewide referendum to appoint a, a you know, a, a nonpartisan redistricting commission. So there's some textual and historical in the 19th Amendment uh, um, support for the idea that legislature means legislature, period. Now, the arguments on the other side is the one that I personally find the most convincing is that state legislatures themselves pass laws providing for judicial review. They set up procedures for judicial review of their own actions. So unless you're saying that the legislatures lack the ability to delegate power to state courts or to the governor by way of veto or to an election administrator, all of which are set out by statute, right? Or in some cases, it was the legislatures that, um, you know, adopted constitutional provisions at issue, right? So unless you're saying that the legislatures lack the ability to delegate any authority, then I think you should say that the legislatures have basically uh, exceeded due judicial review of this type. Another argument is historical. You know, uh, this court places a lot of stock in original intent, original mm-hmm. intent. At the time of the founding, most state constitutions did regulate federal election procedures. And at the time of the founding, other state actors besides the legislature did, in fact, play a role in federal elections. So it seems, and the argument goes, it seems implausible that the founders meant to have such a restrictive view of you know, the state legislature and no one else has any say when they themselves, the states, you know, had judicial review and non-legislative actors playing a role. And then finally, there's an analogy to the First Amendment. You know, I teach my law students that the First Amendment, by its plain terms, says Congress shall make no law establishing religion or um, abridging freedom of speech or the free exercise of religion, et cetera, et cetera. But nonetheless, no one's ever interpreted it that narrowly. We're not saying that the president gets to violate free speech or the courts get to violate free exercise because the word commerce was in there. Clearly, what they meant was the federal government. Mm -hmm. And so by analogy, it seems plausible to say that when they said legislature, they were really thinking about state government versus the federal government so those are the arguments on either side and of course um at the end of the day whatever five justices think will will be the uh, will yeah. be the old.
0: so hope for some strong originalist arguments persuading some of those new justices to not go in such a radical direction it might yeah. be something to pin some hopes on
2: yeah yeah i mean well, i'm I'm frank, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hide the ball. I, I yeah. think the state legislature doctrine is not very persuasive. Most election law commentators would would say that. It's a kind of a minority view that has be, been gaining traction among certain conservative circles. And I think, like we discussed, it's, um, it's dangerous, and I hope it doesn't prevail.
0: Well, it seems odd to have mm-hmm. um, anybody with unchecked power in the system that we're in. So it seems to run counter to most of the other ways that those those entities run so well i hope that we can have a little follow-up conversation um after this decision is decided and hopefully it is one of a positive nature um and we're not discussing any more apocalyptic scenarios but this is it's been really enlightening i think um i think it's been informative for listeners i think that also this is really going to keep building and building and more and more uh attention is going to be paid to it so I'm excited that we could get a, a little bit ahead of the game and inform people um, before they uh, really see this cropping up well, You are, up definitely, more.
2: You are <laughs> definitely getting ahead of the curve on this. Yeah. You know, This is a, a stealth issue. I don't think people realize just how important this right. issue is right now and how devastating the consequences can be. And I, I predict that you are going to be hearing a lot about it this fall
0: well i think you'll be talking a lot about it as well as it comes along uh, maybe writing about it too so um well thanks for taking the time it's super interesting as always and um thanks for laying it out in a way that we could understand
2: thank you take care now great thanks steve